0: Well, I just want to welcome you again, uh, friends and family, um, to this morning. Um, If we haven't met, my name is Ian. I head up the eldership team here, and it's just a great pleasure to be able to speak this morning. It's been great to see these young people baptised, and we're we're hearing that God is alive, that he's moving, and he's speaking to people, uh, and that's really exciting. I remember the first time I came here. So if you're new to church, I've been uh, where you are. And I remember coming, and I... I just thought I'd let you know what we do here. And you'll see, you'll have seen that we love to worship God through singing. That that was the first bit, in case you didn't notice that bit. Uh, We believe that the Bible is God's word, and we study it. And we take it seriously, and then we try to apply it to our lives. And when I first heard this, I thought they were all bonkers. But as I went forward and looked into it more... I discovered that it was true, that historically there was a person called Jesus of Nazareth that lived 2,000 years ago, that the crucifixion and death of Jesus Christ is the most historically attested fact, and that he did indeed rise from the dead and he is alive today, affecting and changing people's lives. That's why we study the Bible and take it seriously. We want to understand it. And the more we understand the Bible, the more we understand ourselves. And the more we understand the Bible, the more we understand the world around us. We've been going through a series here that we started in September called The Greater Story, and we are seeking to understand the whole story of the Bible. We believe that the Bible has one continual story from beginning to end, that God is a God who has, right from the beginning, been after people. He's been redeeming, bringing people back to himself. And this is something that we are all part of. Whether we are Christians or not, you are part of this story. And we love stories, don't we? We love ones that capture our imaginations, ones that pull us in. But when we understand this greater story that we are a part of it, it will help us understand who we are and what our purpose is. I know for myself that when I discovered my life is part of something way, way bigger than what is just in front of me day to day, it gave me purpose, it gave me hope, it gave me excitement that there was a God who wants, doesn't need me, but wants me to be a part of his story and his mission to be a blessing to all nations. And that's not because I am special. That's not because I am a super Christian. I'm the pastor that God has called specifically. No, he calls each and every one of us to be part of that. And we may have our own little sub-story. But we are here fleetingly. You know, we kind of say we're here today, gone tomorrow. But the Bible is actually more realistic than that. It's, It's more like we're here in the morning and we're gone by the afternoon. And... It tells, the Bible tells us that considering and against the creator of the universe who is outside of space and time. And the 80 or 90 years that we may get on this earth is insignificant in comparison to all eternity. The reality is, as well, that none of us choose whether our lives get to glorify God. We only get to glorify God as an object of his grace. And you can either be an object of his grace... Or an object of his wrath by refusing his lordship and serving yourself as God. And God's just right wrath is given to people per their choice. It's often been said there are two types of people in the world. Those that say thy will be done and those that say my will be done. And God is writing the only story that there is. And we've seen so far through this series, from the beginning of Genesis and creation, God, out of love, made a people for himself. But right from the beginning, God's creations made in his image, human beings have chosen to go their own way. We saw that through Adam and Eve and the fall. And we saw that with Cain and Abel and Noah and the flood and the Tower of Babel. And then we started last week looking at Abraham. And it might sound like, Oh, that's nice, isn't it? We're working our way through all those lovely Bible stories we read to our kids. Do you remember that story of Noah? You know, the ones we tell our kids as we're tucking them into bed. Yeah, that's right. That's right, baby. As, as Noah and all of his family and all the animals and the giraffes and the lions, they all got on the boat. Do you remember that? Yeah. And then God drowned everybody on earth. <laughs> Good night, baby. See you in the morning. Do you remember those stories? That's what we tell our kids But we're digging in to see the true meaning of these stories. And Adam, last week, started the section of Genesis from chapter 12. It's kind of like a new section, really, when God calls a man called Abram out of a place called the Chaldeans. And what's happening here is re-emphasizing that God, through a word, covenant, that God is after a relationship with people. And that through the whole Bible, God is constantly after a people for himself. Right through to today, God is after a relationship with you. That applies to each and every one of you here today. And that is what God wants from you, it is yourself. He wants a relationship with you. And we're just going to look at this word briefly, covenant, and what it means and how it affects us today. A relationship with God in covenant is like a partnership with God, working alongside someone to accomplish a goal together. At the beginning, God creates the world full of potential and creates humans to be his partners to bring the goodness out of the potential. And then humans rebel and try and create things on their own terms, and that's why there's this constant spiral into injustice and corruption and death. Everyone has abandoned God's plan, so he picks a few people out of many and makes an agreement with them called a covenant. God makes promises and asks his partners to make commitments. And God is then using this covenant relationship to renew his relationship with everybody else. There are four main covenants in the Old Testament, which are the Noahic, the Abrahamic, the mosaic or the israel the law and the davidic through king david through which god is making a new covenant family through where all people will be invited the first one is the noah the noahic covenant where he cleanses the world of corruption and despite knowing that there'll be a continuation of humanity's evil he promises not to flood the earth again The earth will be a place to work together and Noah doesn't have to do anything in this um, particular covenant, but God is still promising to be faithful. Then we move on to Abraham. God promises to bless him. He'll have a large family, lots of land and they will flourish. And in return, God asks him to trust him and train his family to do what is right and just. And all the families of the world will be blessed through this one family. We have the The Mosaic, or through Israel, the law, where there's a covenant of law guidelines of living well in a community of God's people. And if they do this, they will represent him to the rest of humanity. And then, on to King David, Israel is now a large nation with David as king, and God promises that one day, one of David's descendants would extend God's kingdom of peace and blessing over all nations. But Israel breaks the covenant time and time again. During this time, Israel's prophet spoke about a day when God would restore these covenants despite Israel's failure. And then we get to the New Testament and the new covenant and Jesus is introduced and he will fulfill them. He is from the family of Abraham. He is the true faithful Israelite. Who can truly obey the law? He is the true King from the line of David who will extend kingdom, the kingdom of peace and justice, to all. And Jesus is fully God, became human to fulfil and be that faithful covenant partner that we were all made to be. But Jesus, but through Jesus, God made it a way for anyone to be in a covenant relationship with Him. He calls. People to follow him to be part of this new family, partnering with him to reach all the other families in the world, all leading to a new humanity where God and humanity will work together in perfect harmony. But so that's a kind of light covering of covenants in the Old Testament and leading up to the new covenant in the New. Testament. And this covenant we're looking at through Abraham started with what Adam looked at last week from Genesis 12, where God promises to make Abraham a great nation and make his name great and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And we're just going to take a further look at Abraham. We're skipping forward to Genesis 15, and I'd encourage you to read in your own time in between Genesis 12 and 15. The chapters 12, 13, and 14 are a really interesting Part that you need to read to fill in the gaps. Abraham and Sarah go to Egypt and they're separated. And Abraham, if you know the story, doesn't come out too well in this. And he's with his cousin Lot and they separate. And then Abraham has to go in and save his cousin Lot. And then we learn more about this character, Abraham, or Abraham, and this covenant with God in Genesis 15. So I'm just going to read the word of God. And pray that it speaks to us. After these things, this is chapter 15 from verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house, Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said behold you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir and behold the word of the Lord came to him this man shall not be your heir your very own son shall be your heir and he brought him outside and said look toward heaven and the number of stars if you're able to number them and he said to him so shall your offspring be and he believed the Lord and counted it to him as righteousness and he said to him I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? So he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these things, cut them in half and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down to the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And the sun was going down, and a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And then the Lord said to Abram, "'Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs, and will be servant. they will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation they serve, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions.'" As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down, and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, to the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So, through this is the beginning. We're getting to know Abraham, who was likely a moon worshipper from the Chaldeans. He was an aging, infertile man with nothing to offer. He'd grown up in a self-sufficient area of Mesopotamia. He was the second born in a childless couple, called to be the father to many nations. He was, however, though, a man of faith. He was descended from Shem, Noah's son. Hebrews 11 says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. God called him by name, and gave him a new identity. And in the world's eyes, he was this childless has-been. But he had faith in the power of God who called him to obey. That's why it says, Paul says in Galatians 3, Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, Abraham, the man of faith. And we have this famous verse in Genesis 15, verse 6. Abraham believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And God is looking for nobodies who will believe his gospel promises. Abraham believed what God said and it was credit enough for Abraham to be a part of God's great story. Then in this covenant we see made with Abraham and God in Genesis 15, this heifer, the goat, the ram, the turtle dove and the pigeon all seems a bit strange to us, doesn't it? And we're not quite sure what's going on here, but what is happening with these animals is that there's a contract being made. Abraham knew and understood what good God was asking for. And this is very different to our kind of oral written culture with a contract written. This is visually done but with the same binding effect. And when you walk through the middle of the split animals, you're saying, let the same happen to me if I do not fulfill my purpose. Let me be cut off from the land. It's a bit like if you've employed a building contractor to come to your house. And he says he agrees to do the work and supply this amount of bricks and materials for this price. And you write it down in the contract. And then the job finishes and he actually says, well, actually, it cost a bit more than that. Does that happen to anybody? One or two. I used to be a builder, so I'm not giving them all a hard time. But if you have it written in a contract, you can hold him accountable to what you agreed at the beginning. Because it's there. And maybe, if that's not worked for you, maybe you should try this method that Abraham did and see how that works. But God is making a certain promise that he will fulfill. And he will give this land to Abraham's offspring. Even though God knows throughout history, through the story of the Bible, people would never uphold their end of the deal. And we see doubts from Abraham in this chapter. He says, how will I know? How will I know that I will possess the land? I don't even have any kids. And all doubts when it comes to faith or believing can be affected like this. We think, well... I can't see it in front of me. I don't think I'll be able to last, Lord. I don't think I can live up to your standards. I will disappoint you. I'll let you down. And what happens, though, in this what seems like a bizarre moment to us. God is saying, Abraham, I will pay the penalty if I fail. And I will also pay the penalty if you fail. God is absorbing the cost in this one-sided covenant. He's saying, I will be torn apart. If I fail, or you fail. Abraham, I don't think, fully appreciated the cost of this amazing grace promise. When this happened, it says, a great darkness came down upon Abraham. And those of us that know the Bible will know, centuries later, a great darkness came down again, and it was so dreadful that the sun went out at midday. In the Gospel of Mark, it says, In the sixth hour, darkness covered Calvary and the cross where Jesus was hanging. He hung on the cross, crying out to God, Why have you forsaken me? Amazingly, in Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet says, The Messiah was cut off from the land of the living. This is covenant language that he's using. God is saying, I will bless you unconditionally. If you believe in me and enter into a relationship with me, I do not fail and your failures do not get in the way of me blessing you. Paul later says in Galatians 3, 13 to 14, Christ was cursed for us. So the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That is everyone outside of Israel. And through Christ, we get this promise. If you have never committed your life to Christ, it may be because of all of these doubts or questions that you have. You don't have it all together. You will always have questions. You'll always have flaws. But every other faith makes you go through those pieces yourself. Even if it's some belief system you've made up yourself, you have to do it yourself. You have to be a good moral person. You have to be a liberal person, a tolerant person. But everyone will fail when they try to do it on their own to make it work. But we have in Christ a sure and certain anchor for the soul. And if we don't give ourselves to Jesus Christ, we end up giving ourselves to something else. There is something we're putting our hopes in. If we have that, it could be our looks, our talents, our family, our career... Unless an anchor is at the bottom on a rock, it is useless. And you will drift and get blown around by the waves of the water. And if you are not putting your anchor into God, it's just in water. It's ebbing and flowing. If your hopes are in your family, or your looks, or your career, or something else, it will all go at one stage. Everything will go unless it is in this unchanging promise that will never, ever change. Everything else in your performance or your good, good works, God says, I am your shield. Unless he is your shield, you don't have a shield. If you're struggling right now as a Christian, it might be because you don't have your anchor down far enough. The anchor has to grip onto something, and if we're controlled by worry or anxiety, we might intellectually believe these things. He'll always be there, he died for me, he took the darkness upon himself, but we we might know it in our head, but we haven't gripped it emotionally in our heart. If you're bitter or you can't forgive, your anchor isn't down far enough. Because Christ went into the depths for us to hold on to that anchor so that we can trust him in the darkest of days. And we've heard that already this morning, haven't we? We can know. We can lay our doubts aside like Abraham because he passed through. He was cut off from the land so we don't have to. And all the way through the Bible, God is after a people. And that takes us right through to today. God is still saving people from themselves. From the fact that they turned their back on him. God saved me from myself. I was lost. I was far from him. I was a blasphemer. I was a a drunk, a drug taker. I was in trouble with the police, but God saved me from myself. And whether you were as bad as I was or not, whether you, you seem like you're a good moral person, God still needed to die for you. He makes a way for the likes of you and me to come to God, undeserving but made righteous in his sight. Because of the new covenant. And in this new covenant, it's God said, Israel will be restored. Sins will finally be forgiven. People will know God directly and they will have his law not written on tablets of stone but written on their hearts so they can trust and obey him. The new covenant sacrifice of Jesus on behalf of his people mean that sins can be forgiven once and for all. I found that so helpful. Under the old covenant, only the priests could enter this holy place in the temple. Only the high priest could enter the most holy place once a year. But in Hebrews 4, it says, Because of Christ, the high priest of the new covenant, we can come into God's presence. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The new covenant is governed by a law that is internalized by the people of God and energized by his spirit. The sins of the people are forgiven and removed once and for all by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And they have direct, intimate access to him. Gentiles who believe are now included in this covenant. We've been brought into this promise and you can now come to Christ to be part of his story. At the end of Jesus' earthly mission ministry, he commissioned his disciples that they were to follow him and go and tell the whole world about him, to make disciples of all nations. In Acts 1, verse 8, it says, you will, Jesus, This is Jesus speaking to the disciples just before he ascends to heaven. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The proclamation of the gospel and people receiving the gospel, the good news, and submitting to King Jesus is the fulfillment of what God told Abraham. And you, along with 2.3 billion other Christians in the world, get to be at the center of this. And that one day every tribe and tongue will be around the throne of God worshipping him. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. You won't just be sitting on a cloud one day with a harp forever and ever, singing to God. That's not what heaven is going to be like. And now you get to live a life as a Christian with the power of Christ, the Holy Spirit, inside of you. You know longer need to be defined by your looks, your career, your ethnicity, your sexuality. You are defined by Jesus Christ as an adopted son and daughter into God's family. Amen? I'm glad you agree. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit and you have a power available to help you. He says you will have, you have power. You are not stuck in your sin. You might be choosing to sit in it right now, But you have received power, so you're not stuck there. You have received power, you have the spirit inside of you. You don't need to be stuck in your anxiety, you have received power. You don't need to spend all that time listening to yourself, listening to your anxieties. You've received power. And with the power that you've received, you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You need to wash yourself in the Word, reading the Bible. Let the Word of God shape your heart and mind. To spend less time listening to ourselves, more time talking to ourselves with the truths of God from Scripture. And you can come to Jesus and He will set you free. You can come to Jesus and He will give you a new heart and a new purpose. Come to Jesus, he will give you eternal life. Come to Jesus, he will give you life and life in all its fullness. Come to Jesus now. Today is the day of salvation. And you can come to Jesus. If you have never given your life to Christ, you can know him personally. Just like we've heard from Joel and Emma this morning. You can know him personally. And you can give your life to him right now. Can I ask you to stand? And we're going to, everyone's going to bow their head and we're going to pray. And if you want to give your life to Jesus right now, it's very, very easy. The only thing that is in the way of you and God right now is you. And we're all going to bow our heads. We're going to ask Now, God, to come into our life. And if you want to do that for the first time, just while everyone's got their head bowed, just between you and God and me, if you could just show your hand right now, if you want to give your life to Christ, have a relationship with him, just maybe raise your hand just while everyone's got their head bowed, and then we're going to pray. Thank you. Maybe... That is too big a step for you. And you could, why don't you just take a little step forward right where you are, if if that's what you want to do, give your life to Jesus. Thank you, God. And you can just say these words after me. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me and my sin on the cross. I ask for your forgiveness for turning my back on you. I now choose to follow you. Help me die to my old life and to live in the new life that you have given me. Amen. And I pray, Lord, by the help of the Holy Spirit, help us follow you all of our days. Help us, Lord, be part of this exciting mission that you've set before us, Jesus. And I pray now for all of my friends, my brothers and sisters here this morning. Lord, will they receive power afresh right now? For the power of the Holy Spirit is coming to dwell afresh in you to enable you to be part of his mission. Lord, bless them, keep them. I pray for, Lord, opportunities this week to speak about you, to share you with others. And Lord, I just want to thank you for these two wonderful young people that have given their lives to you and taken this public act of faith, Lord, and I pray for your protection over them in these coming days, Lord Jesus, as as they've done this publicly. Lord God, I pray that you will protect them, you will meet with them afresh, and they will know you even more than they already do. In Jesus' name. Amen.